Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. Okay, Mr. Davis, how about we start off today with some tech gumbo news and updates? Sounds great. I wanted to kick off with President Biden has issued an executive order to create some artificial intelligence safeguards. Someone has to do something. And that's what this is, is that it is an executive order which is designed to bring the AI companies to the table and have them report how their AI systems could be used and how they could be misused. Now, that sounds good, except for the fact that this is an executive order, not a law. So this works for any governmental departments because that's who President Biden is in charge of. He can regulate how things happen inside the federal government. He doesn't have as much of authority on the private sector. So for the open AIs, the Google Bards and all of those things, chat GPTs, this is a, hey, y'all please come to the table, not, hey, you have to come to the table. And and that's ultimately where we are on this issue is that the, the presidency is doing something, but Congress is taking its time. It's really considering the issue thoroughly before it, it takes any actions here. And so this is a small step in the right direction, which is better than no step in the right direction, but it could be a lot bigger. The idea that these heads of the Microsoft, Google, OpenAIs, and all the rest of them, they have been to Washington, D.C. They have sat down with the the powers that be, and they have said they are willing to commit to safety and to security testings, and they want to cooperate with the government. When you have a Congress such as we do in the United States that cannot agree upon the time of day, then it's going to be very, very difficult to get something as controversial as rules on how artificial intelligence is supposed to be put together to get laws like that passed is going to be tough. Even, even though it shouldn't be, this should not be a controversial issue. 
we should all agree we want to put some safeguards on this because it's it's not even just from the you know perspective as the public all those ceos whenever they went and testified before congress all of them said hey please regulate us please give us some guidelines please you tell us what you want us to do and we will do it because they're also trying to manage risk for themselves it's much easier whenever they have a list of hey if you do these things you are protected by law you bet they're gonna do those things whereas now each one of them has to make these decisions for themselves what is an acceptable risk what's not an acceptable risk and they're all probably going to err a little bit more on the aggressive side because right now their only incentive is how much money can they make? How fast can they return that very large investment that all these companies are making in them? And so you create this arms race where all of them says, well, we have to be first because we know someone else is racing against us. And this would be an excellent time for the public sector to come in to lower the temperature on an arms race and to give everyone more time to think about it and to be more intentional about what they want to do. But we are just simply not in that universe. Yeah, in a way, they all want their own Section 230. Moving along as a bit of a follow-up, Apple has finally rolled out the 17.1 iOS update to help take care of some of the burn-in issues and a few other problems. Yep, like we said on launch, wait. And this is exactly why that you had some of the issues wherever the if the image was displayed on the screen too long, it would get burned in and you would see the ghostly after effects. Well, the good news is that Apple was able to fix this with a little bit of software. You just do some things in the background. This is a, a nice fix, and it's it's why that you don't get the initial launch. You don't get the, the very first one. You get the second one. Some of the other options, some of the other fixes, uh, you can now choose a specific album for your, your photo lock screens. You've got better home key support. There's improved screen time settings. Some simple little things, nothing dramatic, nothing too big. But this is now 17.1, and now's the time to go to your iPhone, go to your settings, to general, to software update, and now you can start doing the full upgrade to 17.1. I agree. Moving into a big story, we haven't talked about Twitter in a while, and it is time, especially the, with what's going on in the Middle East right now. The European Union is coming down pretty hard on Twitter because they have done their own analysis looking at social media posts on a variety of platforms and found that posts on Twitter were 10 times as likely to be misinformation or disinformation than on YouTube. That's startling that it's that big a discrepancy so that you have just when, when when you look at what Google, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, all of those, you have a 0.8% chance of finding misinformation on those platforms. But on Twitter, you have between 8 to 9% chance of anything you see on Twitter is being misinformation, 
a lie, disinformation, or just flat out wrong, man, that's a hard number to get past. But it makes so much sense. YouTube has spent years and years and years working to make sure that it verifies its content, that it has rules in place, that it has structures in place so that you can't just have any Yahoo out there posting about verifiable stuff that the people who are trusted sources, people who know what they're talking about, their voices are going to be amplified. Well, Twitter has intentionally ripped all of that out. Twitter had a lot of safeguards in place. It had ways to make sure that you could tell, oh, this is someone who whenever they say something, I can believe it. Whenever you destroy all of your trust and verification systems and you remove your trust and verification team, well, this is the situation you end up in. This this is a very straight line. So you're saying by removing 85% of your employees, the employees who put these these structures in place, when they're not there, then nothing good happens? The employees and the work that they had done, the blue check system on Twitter was overwhelmingly a success. The fact that they were journalists and you could say, oh, this was a journalist for this newspaper, you know, and they cover, you know, this specific beat. Oh, okay. That I can tell immediately that this is a voice who this is a person on the ground looking at what's happening with their own two eyes. And now all of a sudden you just see people scrolling through and it's harder to tell. Is this someone who actually knows what they're talking about? Or is this someone who just wants to be important here? When you have things like NPR, which left Twitter and six months later, they they can find no negligible harm for not being on the platform. That kind of gives credence to the reason why journalists aren't doing Twitter anymore. Whenever NPR decided to leave, they noticed that only about 2% of their total website traffic came from Twitter. And now that they left, it's only a 1% drop. And what they found was that even though they no longer have an official presence on the site, a lot of their stuff was still getting shared by users. And so they would write their article and then people would share it. And so it would still make its way around without them having to do anything. There was a a shooting in Kansas City and one of the reporters was was he said, look, it was really painful to not just run to Twitter to go post the things. But they found out that by not being on Twitter, by putting it on on their website, putting it on blogs, the audience still found the stories and and they felt better about themselves. And Instagram picked up a lot of that. And, And so they didn't need Twitter anymore. And they they're just moving on. Yeah, because and this is even a net positive in some ways. You know, you see sometimes they're moving to threads, but they only spend about half as much time on threads as they did on Twitter. And so that's a lot of time that you're not burning anymore. And so they said that their staff feels less burned out. And so that and also threads as a platform has been a little bit more earnest, a little bit more sincere. And so that's really they're 
they're kind of happier. You know, they really only saw a very small drop in their user and all of their engagement now is just much more willing to interact with them and much more willing to be in good faith. And so you have to think that a lot of other people are looking at this and saying, we haven't had that push yet, but man, we are just one bad day away from pulling the plug on our Twitter accounts. And they're not chasing clicks as much either that they are much more about creating good content and the the messages that if we put up good content people are going to come we don't have to just chase clicks from twitter and and i think that's a good healthy strategy this is something that we've seen in other places specifically on youtube though if you listen to a lot of youtube creators talk about what makes a good video how do you grow a youtube channel the thing that they all say is make good content, make videos that you're interested in, make videos that you would want to watch. All of them say, don't sit there and try and chase clicks. Don't try and chase views because ultimately the algorithm will shift a little bit here and there. And those little optimizations, you'll have to relearn them. But if you're making good stuff, people will want to find it and the algorithms will serve it. And so that's kind of what NPR is finding, is that if you make good content, algorithms will serve it. People will want to go find it. And that's maybe them having that control for themselves is a good thing. Now, the one thing that's not changed up to this point for Twitter slash X has been the sports fans. They are still holding in and not giving up their Twitter because, and, and I'm guilty of this. I, I have spent years and years and years watching sports with Twitter going on simultaneously to get that instant feedback from the reporters, from the sideline, from people in the stands. If I'm not at the game, I want to see what they're talking about. Or if I'm not able to watch the game, I could follow along in a baseball game, almost pitch by pitch on Twitter. And so that part of Twitter is not going away yet. Oh, and I think it really shows that's the value of Twitter is that no other social media platform has that true instant response, has the ability to aggregate opinions, has the ability to collect what a bunch of people are saying and, and show them rapid fire like that. And also, I think the reason why sports is surviving much longer than politics is, is that just the stakes are a little bit lower. If someone has a bad sports opinion, well, everyone has bad sports opinions, <laughs> but if someone has a bad political opinion, that carries a lot more weight. And so and if you get something wrong, if a reporter, sports reporter says, oh, X player has an injury and turns out he doesn't, that's, you know, bad for his credibility, but that's not a big deal. Whereas if you report that a political treaty was signed and it wasn't, there's large implications to getting that wrong. Because nobody cares if at the beginning of the game you start demanding the New Orleans Saints head coach gets fired because they suck in the first quarter, but they wind up winning the game at the end. Oh, okay, well, no big deal. If you sit there and start calling for some political ouster because of some something that a politician said, that can stick around a lot longer. And like you said, Everybody has bad sports takes. I mean, that's why we're, we're fans. Politics is a different game. 
I agree. And it's because it's it is still fun to sit there and banter with your friends and just banter with other people to say, oh, you know, that's one of the nice parts. I live in New York City, but I still follow the New Orleans Saints community. I still follow the LSU football community. And so I still get to be part of that. I still get to see what people are saying. I still get to see all the, the memes and the goofiness and the ridiculousness, even though I don't hang out with a lot of Saints fans here. And so that is nice to still feel a part of that. And I think that we're still seeing the network effects here. Twitter is still large enough that it hasn't hit that tipping point. And I think that's because Threads hasn't wanted to be that. They've been Threads has been very, very careful about not just becoming Twitter minus Musk, but there's such a demand for it. And you have to wonder if one day do they just shrug their shoulders and say, fine, we'll you know make these couple changes and a, a mass wave of people moves, or does it continue to just trickle, trickle, trickle until there's one final event? And I, I don't know when that's going to be. My guess is that Twitter continues along for probably about another year at this pace before something big finally breaks. I'm, I'm surprised it's still limping along as like it is. I think it's just being held together by whatever money that Dr. Mr. Musk wants to continue to put pump into it. I think 2024 is going to be a really rough year for Twitter slash X. I agree. According to the European Union, online piracy is making a big comeback. To the surprise of absolutely no one, last year was the first year that piracy rates have increased. Piracy had been falling for a number of years, and it's very easy to understand why. Whenever you have platforms like Spotify, which are relatively cheap and you can listen to as much music as you want, there you go. I have no need to pirate music. I have a fairly well-developed app that takes care of all that for me. And I pay some subscription and they pay the artists some very meager amount. And we look at movies and TV shows. We had Netflix. You could all get it in one place and you would pay your subscription and that would meet your needs. Now that Netflix is kicking people off and it's raising the prices and then you have to have Netflix and Disney and HBO and Peacock. And well, people are saying, I don't know, it's pretty easy to go to Google and type in watch show online free. It's not worth that 20 bucks a month. According to this study, 48% of all piracy is caused by people illegally viewing TV content, and 58% of pirates access illicit content via streaming sites. That's that's a big number. Yeah, the, the half of all piracy is people illegally viewing TV content, and then more than half of it is on streaming sites. And so you have all of your streaming platforms, you're just reinventing cable, and one of the big things that happened on cable was piracy. Back in the early seasons of Game of Thrones, they were leaked online as the show was coming out. And so HBO actually benefited from this. A lot of the reason why early Game of Thrones exploded in popularity is that people who didn't have HBO could watch it. And then they went over and said, oh, okay, this is worth going out and getting HBO for. But... There is a demand for these shows, but there's also a limit on what people are willing to pay and a limit on how many services they're willing to have. And whenever the services go above that threshold, people are going to find other ways. It's just too easy. 
it is worth noting that while the piracy is up, it's nowhere near what it was 20 years ago or even five years ago. It has popped its head back up. Like you mentioned, a lot of these subscription rates are going up and it's going to be interesting to see if this continues this trend. Does piracy continue to go higher and higher because subscription rates go higher and higher? We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast. Available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.